clothes. We all got up this morning and put on some clothes. There are so many necessities that we have in life, things that we need to sustain our biological lives, and we get up in the morning and we take many of those things for granted. We go to the faucet and turn it on and immediately expect water to flow freely. We turn on the light switch and expect there to be light. All these things we take for granted until they're missing. And it's then that we begin to worry about them. Not when we take them for granted, but when we're without them. But even with clothing, there are times when we worry about our clothing, at least I do. I have to confess over a period of 30-some-odd years of marriage, there have been times when either my wife or I have asked the other, when going to a party or some event, what do you think I should wear? How does this look? You try something on. How does this look? How's this tie? Been there, done that? We worry sometimes about our clothes. We worry sometimes about our things. We worry how we look and how others will perceive and receive us. You know, the opposite of faith is not doubt. I'm a big believer that doubt and asking questions is a part of our faith. The opposite of faith is anxiety and worry. The more faith the less worry. It's true. The more trust, the less anxiety. Did you hear it in Jesus' words? Don't worry, he said. Look at the flowers of the field. They don't exert undue effort. They just follow the natural course of things, and yet they are arrayed more beautifully than Solomon in all his splendor. Jesus tells us not to worry, not to stress, not to fret about how we look, what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat. Oh, I forgot about the eating part. We do worry about that too, don't we? Company's coming. I remember the first time I cooked for my mother-in-law. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> you, get, you get what I'm saying. We do worry about these things sometimes. We're throwing a party and we worry about what we're going to serve and what we're going to have and will it be enough. And Jesus constantly says, don't worry. It isn't. A, I, I, I had a friend who is now deceased from cancer. Died just a year or two ago, and um, we went to dinner with him one night when he was in the midst of the cancer, and, and um, we were talking and so on and so forth, and asked him about the food and if he in, was enjoying his meal, and he said, "You know, David, it isn't about the food. 
It's about the relationships. And when you have cancer and you know you have limited time, it isn't about the food. It's about the relationships. And are they real? Are they deep? Are they authentic? Jesus said, don't worry. Get your priorities straight. Seek first God's kingdom, and then everything else will be added unto you. And so our focus is to be on doing things that help accomplish God's purposes in the world. Doing what God wants. And there is so much need in our world. There are so many who do without food. There are many who wonder about having adequate clothing or shelter. Our mission opportunities that we've been lifting up are ways that we can be engaged with hands-on caring and sharing with others. A few of us have to worry about where our next meal is going to come from. Yet, as I've said, worry is something we participate in unnecessarily. You know, worry is sort of like a stream of fear trickling through the mind. And the more it trickles through the same place, it cuts a channel into which all our thoughts drain. We need to practice gratitude and generosity. And when we do, that creates a channel through which more and more of our thoughts and our living flow through that same expression. Think of this world and the beauty of creation. There is so much for which to give thanks. God spins the world into being. God spins us and our lives into being. This whole creation is a marvelous mystery, and we can give thanks. I'd like you to turn in your bulletins to just past the end of the service, the next page beyond the benediction, And you're going to find an additional song, and I would like you to join with uh, the choir and me as we sing this as part of our sermon today. It's called Let All Things Now Living, and it's to the tune of the Ash Grove. I think you'll know it. So let's join together and you may remain seated as we sing this, this song. Oh, man. 
sing with glad adoration a song let us raise till all things now living unite in thanksgiving to God in the highest Hosanna and praise till all things now living Unite in thanksgiving. The world we now live in is broken, suffering, and hurting. It is not all a rose garden. And yet we are called to a vision to unite us in thanksgiving. Going back, thanksgiving is a harvest festival, giving thanks for crops safely gathered, and an expression of thanks to divine providence for all the blessings of the first pilgrims and our our ancestors in the faith, the ones who came here to settle the new world. In a famous sermon over 350 years ago, the preacher said that America would be a shining city on earth. A hill. We haven't quite made it yet, have we? And we won't while there is so much suffering, difficulty, division, hunger, homelessness, helpless, and so many others. So while we give thanks today for all the good our country has brought us, We must remember those others than ourselves, the hungry, the stranger, the alien, the immigrant, those who have been abandoned and overlooked by society. And I feel compelled to mention just in recent days, those children on a school bus in Missouri who were told by their classmates to sit in the back of the bus because their color was different than theirs. Swastikas put on lockers of Jewish students. And one Muslim American bumped into rather aggressively and told by a classmate to go home. We have lots of work to do if we can celebrate and give thanks for the freedom and dignity of all people. All people. Being thankful means saying yes to life in spite of all the obvious suffering and brokenness and, yes, guilt that's involved. It means enduring unbearable hardships for no other reason than to show up again tomorrow and to be a part of this whole wild cosmic adventure. Being thankful means recognizing that in spite of everything, life is good. You remember Anne Frank? She wrote in the midst of her captivity and isolation, in spite of everything, life is good. Being thankful may not always be enjoyable or easy. 
but it is necessary and it is received. To give thanks is to have the courage to get up in the morning. It is to give thanks and make a difference. So this morning as we gather on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we we think of our church family, we think of our families, and we give thanks. I don't know about you, but I the, the longer I spend away from my kids as they're grown now, the more thankful I become for their lives. We are thankful. I, I, I'm reminded of one uh, grandmother who um, had not seen her grandson, who was about six or seven, and she hadn't seen him for over a year. And when she learned that he was going to come visit for a week, she was in church just before he came, and and she decided to put an extra couple hundred dollars in the offering plate that day because she was so grateful that he was coming. And the following Sunday after he had left, she doubled it and put in 400 Without being too obvious, I want you to just kind of notice the people around you. Think of the people in somewhat proximity to you. Because our church family is important. And we show up here week after week to be reminded of our connectedness to one another. And how we are called into community to be God's family and to be God's people. And as you're thinking about others in the congregation and even those around you, I want to share with you a story, a true story from a a clergy colleague. Um, This this happened to him, and uh, it had such a profound impact that he just had to write about it. He goes all the way back. He starts all the way back in his childhood. And here's what he writes. My mother took us to church and Sunday school. My father didn't go. He complained about Sunday dinner being late when she came home. Sometimes the preacher would call and my father would say, Oh, I know what the church wants. Church doesn't care about me. Church wants another name, another pledge, another name, another pledge. Right? Isn't that the name of it? Another name, another pledge. That's what he always said. Sometimes we'd have a revival and pastor would bring the evangelist and say to the evangelist, there's one, sick him, now go get him. And my father would say the same thing every time. My mother was in the kitchen, always nervous in fear of flaring tempers and somebody being heard. And I always remember my father saying, the church doesn't care about me. The church wants another name and another pledge. I guess I heard it a thousand times growing up. Years later, my dad didn't say it. He was in the veterans hospital and he was down to 73 pounds. They had taken out his throat and said, it's too late. They put in a metal tube and x-rays burned him into pieces and I flew in to see him. He couldn't speak. He couldn't eat. I looked around the room, potted plants and cut flowers on all the windowsills, a stack of cards 20 inches deep beside his bed. And even the tray where they put the food, if you can eat, on that was a flower. And all the flowers beside the bed, every card, every blossom, were from persons or groups 
from the church. He saw me read a card. He could not speak, so he took a Kleenex box and he wrote on the side of it a line from Shakespeare. If he had not written this line, I would not tell you this story. He wrote, In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. And I said, Daddy, what's your story? And he wrote back, I was wrong. I was wrong. The church family, if we let it, can be enormously helpful and caring and supportive in our lives. Because giving and gratitude go hand in hand in our living. And we learn that. We learn that in church. In our passage from Paul, 2 Corinthians, he writes, The one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. He concludes by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I don't know if you remember the, uh, the movie Joe and the Volcano, um, or Joe versus the Volcano. I don't know if any of you ever saw that. It was with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. But there's this one line. Dear God, thank you for my life. I forgot how big and wonderful it is. Dear God, I forgot how big and wonderful this life is. You know, I've always thought that gratitude leads to generosity. But when I looked at this passage again in preparation for this morning, the text has it differently I saw something new. Listen again to verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, when we let that channel be run again and again and again with generosity, it's amazing how gratitude will grow. That's amazing. Grow in generosity and you will grow in thanksgiving. Wow. This morning at our 11 o'clock service, we will be receiving new members into our family of faith. Six new members. They're listed in your programs. Um, And I just want to say that... um, We never use language here at the Neighborhood Church about taking in new members because we don't take in new members. They're not objects or things to be taken in. New members are gifts, gifts to be received. New members are gifts. And so on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we give thanks to be able to receive our new members into our church family. Because each of you is a gift. We are gifts to each other. That's what life in community is all about. 
as a wonderful hymn says, all these gifts around us are sent from heaven above. So thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for all these gifts.